My name is Rachel Del Judas, and you are listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved, visit forgeleadership.org. Thank you. How you doing? Good, good. Are you awake? Okay. If you're not awake, I'm gonna get you awake, okay? Look, for the time I have with you, I wanna talk about, of course on the program, I am gonna talk about the critical race theory and how to debunk that, how to win that, okay? How to win that discussion. But more importantly, the first thing I'm gonna to talk to you about is messaging. See, messaging is my thing. And as conservatives, we do a horrible job of messaging. We have the right message, but the messaging kills us. Why? Because before we get a chance to speak, we have already been discredited because the left has massively destroyed the brand of conservatism. When you tell somebody that you're a conservative, you just grew seven heads and the attack is on. If you say you're a black conservative, a Reagan conservative, or a Christian conservative, that's what you're saying, but that's not what people are hearing. You're a black conservative, you're a black racist. Reagan conservative, you're a Reagan racist. If you say you're a Tea Party conservative or a constitutional conservative, now you are a racist racist. And we're on the defense. We need to be on the offense all the time. Okay? So today, before you leave here, tonight before you leave here, you go, you're going to know how to trump the race card, pun intended. How to, have an, how to create an atmosphere for political dialogue or discourse where you are not fearful of being called a racist, and how to respond when somebody calls you a racist. You follow me? You see, that's what has to happen. So before I get into the critical race theory, I gotta get you to understand that if we're perceived to being racist, or perceived to being Uncle Tom, nobody's listening to us. So therefore, when we speak truth, when we give statistics and evidence, it falls on deaf ears. I'm not going to listen to somebody I, I perceive as a racist. That ain't going to happen. You follow me? We have to win that narrative battle. Okay? You shout the word racist, shut down. You agree with that? Shut down. And again, it's all because the word conservative has a racist connotation. Anybody disagree with that? The word conservative has a racist connotation. The left is playing chess with that, and we're playing checkers. Now, especially in the black community, the word racist has become culturally ingrained to mean racist. It's not that blacks are not conservative, but that's not the word we use. Because the word, 
the word conservative is not the language of liberty in the black community especially. It's the language of oppression. I'll get to that point and give some historical things in a minute. So when you shout the word racist down, it shuts us up, puts us on the defense. Again, you got to be on the offense all the time, okay? You recognize this man here, Rush Limbaugh? I'm going to play an audio. This man we've grown to love and respect. I'm going to play an audio clip of him, about a minute and 20 seconds long. Listen to what he has to say. Okay? I look at, I, I don't like having to say this, but uh, being honest with you and with myself is, is paramount. And I can tell you, and you know this without me telling you, that if, if conservatism and liberalism are brands, the left has succeeded in destroying the, destroying the brand of conservative. All you have to say the word conservative and they think you're talking about a Nazi or a racist. Pushing conservatism is not the answer. So what I would suggest to you, when you're out and about and you're doing, if you, if you run into an occasion where you have the opportunity to talk politics, people don't agree with you, do not use the word conservative. Do everything else, but don't call yourself that. Don't promote it. We've got a brand problem. It's timely. I, I hate it. I hate having to admit it. Get rid of it. Stop calling yourself that. Just be one. Just talk to people as one. You know what I think? I think you're going to find, if you do this, that you're going to have far more people agree with your solutions than will disagree if you don't identify yourself first as a conservative talk. Nobody needs to abandon conservatism. It's just stop labeling everything we think or do as conservative and just do it. So Rush Limbaugh agrees with me. Rush Limbaugh said this back in November 2018, and I've been carrying this message for the past 12 years, saying, look, we got to find a better way to identify ourselves because the word conservative is not it. It's not it. If we're going to save this nation, I guarantee you, it will not happen by getting people to become conservative. So the question is, how should we identify ourselves? If conservative is not the right word to use, because remember now, the person who, who controls the language wins the argument. And the left has control of the language because they demonize the word. Several years ago, I was invited to a friend's home to watch our favorite football team play on television. There were 18 to 20 blacks in that attendance. All of them were black Democrats. When I shared with my friends that I was a conservative Republican, the attacks began. One after another, they called me everything but a child of God. Uncle Tom, foot shuffler, house nigger. Your parents must be disappointed in you. How could you do such a thing? Their insults ran the gamut. I went home that night thinking and mostly praying about how can I best articulate my conservative values and do it in a way where I can win the narrative, where I can trump this race card. After about a year of reading and research, I created something called the Frederick Douglass Republican Engagement Strategy. 
A year later, I invited those same black Democrat friends of mine to my home. And reluctantly, they all came. And the subject of politics surfaced that night. When they asked me about my political identity, they said, okay, Carl is a conservative Republican. I said, wait a minute. I'm more than a conservative. I am more than a Republican. I am a Frederick Douglass Republican, and I believe in the life-empowering values of Frederick Douglass, respect for the U.S. Constitution, respect for life. I believe in limited power of government, where I like to keep more of the money that I make. I believe in economic prosperity, free speech, school choice, women's rights, the right to keep and bear arms. When I share that with them, all of them start talking about how they were a Frederick Douglass Republican too. It worked. For the first time in my life, I had the confidence, the knowledge, and the skill to engage my family members, my friends, my Democrat friends, who in terms of values are probably more conservative than I am. Tonight, I want to share with you that sense of empowerment that I have today. Why this engagement strategy, the Frederick Douglass Republican engagement strategy, is not a gimmick, is not a magician's trick, it's a divinely inspired message that trumps the race card. And once we grow this with young people like you, we're going to send the left back to France. <laughs> okay. So let me quickly give you uh, a refresher on Frederick Douglass that I'm going to get into that engagement strategy, explain that to you. Then we're going to talk about the CRT. So Frederick Douglass, born 1818 in Eastern Shores area of Maryland. The way I like to put it, Frederick Douglass was born below poverty. Why? Because he was born into slavery. Slavery is below poverty. Never owned a pair of shoes till he was eight years old, never slept to bed to age 10. He was a slave for the first 20 years of his life. Zero days of formal schooling. He actually started his own homeschooling program while he was a slave on a plantation to learn how to read and write. Fast forward a little bit. Douglas escaped from slavery in 1838 at the age of 20. Here are some tidbits about Douglas's life I want to share with you. Frederick Douglass wrote three autobiographies, and he wrote a novel called The Heroic Slave. My point in making this statement is that, based on my reading of history, 90% of blacks could not read or write at that time in history. Douglas wrote three autobiographies in a book. He didn't have a ghostwriter. Frederick Douglass was an advisor to five Republican presidents, five of them, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, James Garfield, Rutherford Hayes, and Benjamin Harrison. Most folks don't get a chance to meet one president. This brother was an advisor of five U.S. presidents. Whew. Now, this blew my mind. Frederick Douglass passed away in 1895 at the age of 77. He died of a massive heart attack. When he passed away, Frederick Douglass had $300,000 in savings. In today's money, that's over $10 million. Whew. I can make the case that since Douglass began his life as a sub-zero percenter, he was on a plantation getting that free stuff. I can make the case Douglass was a 47 percenter. He died a one percenter. 
I like the message of Douglas because when I travel the country and I talk to young kids about success, I, I got to get them to say that success is not a secret, success is a system. When you take a look at Douglas' success, his action plan, you quickly realize that you cannot out-victimize Frederick Douglass. All your excuses go away. I don't care which victim category that the left try to put people in, no one today can out-victimize Frederick Douglass. He wrote four books. I can at least write one. Follow me? So that's the life of Frederick Douglass. His life is what? Inspiring. But when it comes to the writings of Frederick Douglass, this is what we need to leverage as conservatives, as liberty advocates, to trump the race card, to win the narrative, to inspire people, to reignite people's passion for liberty by leveraging the liberty message of Frederick Douglass. I contend that Frederick Douglass is America's greatest liberty messenger, the greatest, the greatest. Now, I know the founding fathers, they gave us two magnificent documents, the Constitution and the, the Declaration of Independence. I know some of them own slaves. So what the left does, what they say is, well, these men who own slaves gave us this racist document called the Constitution, right? They exploit that. On the other hand, Frederick Douglass, he did not own any slaves. He was a slave, and in his writings, he affirmed the founding fathers and he affirmed the Constitution, and the left has no answer for that, and they never will. Douglas said on one occasion, he said, the Constitution reads, we the people. This is Douglas talking. He said, the Constitution reads, we the people. It does not read, we the white people. Douglas concluded by saying, the problem is not with the Constitution. The problem is in the application of the Constitution. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is in how the Bible is applied. So thank God we have the literary legacy of Frederick Douglass to refute the lies and the false rhetoric of the Marxists, of the left, of the communists. You follow me? Frederick Douglass, the answer. Matter of fact, not only do I think Frederick Douglass is the America's greatest liberty messenger, but he's also what I call the forgotten prophet. If we're serious about defending liberty, if we're serious about defeating Marxism, communism, I contend we must make the writings of Frederick Douglass a part of our language. The left has no answer for that. Why do you think there's never been a movie on Frederick Douglass? James Brown has a movie. Tupac has a movie. There's never been a movie on Frederick Douglass because his views are the complete opposite of the socialists in Hollywood. You follow me? So what is a Frederick Douglass Republican? A Frederick Douglass Republican is the person who embraces the life-empowering values of Frederick Douglass. Follow me now. I didn't say conservative values. I call them life-empowering values. What are those values? Respect for the U.S. Constitution, respect for life, the belief in limited power of government, economic prosperity, free speech, school choice, women's rights, the right to keep and bear arms, immigration. Douglas wrote about all these things. So a Frederick Douglass Republican is not based on your skin color, it's based on you embracing those values. It's not about color, it's about values. 
So I know I'm here at the Forest Leadership Network. I see a lot of Frederick Douglass Republicans in here. Make sense to you? It's about values. It works. This engagement strategy works. You know why it works? The first reason why it works is the phrase Frederick Douglass Republican. It's an oxymoron for a lot of folks. Frederick Douglass is an icon of liberty. Republican, because of negative propaganda of the left, Republican is an icon of racism. Liberty, racism, they don't go together. So when you share with someone that you are a Frederick Douglass Republican, you just create a mystery in their mind, and they want to know what you're talking about. That's when you got to have some content to go with the phrase. Can't just utter the phrase. And I have the content. You follow me? So you have to what? Take some time to show yourself approved. You, you, got, you, got, you got to know something about Douglass. You got to know what you're talking about. You got to practice the pattern. I grew up as a staunch Democrat. When I realized my values were more in line with the Republican Party and conservative movement, I became a conservative. And uh, well, let me take that back. I've always been a conservative, I just didn't know it. So I, I'm, not a, I'm not a transformative conservative, I'm an original conservative. You follow me? Now, it's an engagement strategy. It works, but you got to know how to apply it. You don't have to take notes. I'm actually, I wrote a book about this whole thing. I'm not here to hawk the book. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm going to hawk the book. I'm going to hawk the book because I got to give you and share with you what I know that works. Now, when I mentioned that the word conservative has a racist connotation, a lot of people, you looked at me like I just robbed the bank when I said that. Let me explain to you why. That day, that night, when my friends attacked me because I told them I was a conservative, I started thinking about why they're wearing me out about this word conservative. I, I know about the negative propaganda that the left has spent to demonize the word, but is there something in history that, that had occurred that I might not be aware of? Now, I don't have a PhD but I've done some PhD-level research I want to share with you. Let's go, back to, let's go back to July 2nd. July 2nd, 1964, that's when President Johnson signed the civil rights legislation to law. Okay? Your staunch, racist, Democrat segregationists, the Dixiecrats, they filibustered the bill, the senators, they filibustered the bill and voted against it based on racist reasons. Okay? Uh, for racist reasons. Now, there was a certain Republican senator. He also voted against it, not because he was a racist. He voted against it based on constitutional grounds. His name was Senator Barry Goldwater. Senator Barry Goldwater was not a racist. He was, in fact, an integrationist. I think Robert Bork who was a Yale University professor at the time, wrote a 75-page opinion that Goldwater used to determine how he's going to vote. So Goldwater was not a racist, he was an integrationist. As a matter of fact, at the age of 37, when Barry Goldwater inherited his family's department store, he went around, he went around the, the city of Phoenix encouraging other business owners to integrate their enterprise. 
because Barry Goldwater hired black cashiers. 1948, it was Senator Barry Goldwater who founded the Arizona Air National Guard as an integrated unit long before Truman integrated the armed forces. In 1953, it was Senator Barry Goldwater who integrated the Senate cafeteria in our nation's capital when one of his black staffers was refused service. Senator Barry Goldwater was not a racist. He was not a segregationist. He was an integrationist. But, follow me now, I'm going to connect two dots here. You got to catch this. But with his no vote, he sided with the Racist. You follow me? You follow me? Say amen, somebody. Amen. Okay. I know, I know you don't recall this because you weren't born, but <laughs> what was the name of Senator, what was, the, what was Senator Barry Goldwater's nickname? Mr. Conservative. His nickname was Mr. Conservative. What was a title of the book he wrote in 1960 that sold over three million copies? The Conscience of a Conservative. At the 1964 Republican Party National Convention that was held at the Cap House in San Francisco, the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, the party of emancipation, who do they nominate as their presidential candidate to run against LBJ, who signed the civil rights legislation? Mr. Conservative. When that happened, black folks left the Republican Party in mass. My parents were staunch Republicans until 1964. When I asked my dad about it, he said the Republican Party didn't want us. And the Democrat Party's worse. So black folks felt politically homeless, but then the Democrat Party started courting them, okay? Ever since then, we've lost control of that narrative. What I mean by that, here's the irony of it. The Democrat Party now calling us racist. They gave us Jim Crow laws. The Democrat Party supported slavery in the South. They started the KKK as a domestic terrorist group that went around, especially in the South, telling black folks, if you vote Republican, you're going to die. It is the white folks, too. That was the Democrat Party. But now they're calling us racist. They have control of the narrative. We got to get it back. And the first way we got to get it back, we got to understand they have destroyed the brand of conservative and the word Republican, too. The word Republican Party, uh, name Republican Party and conservative, they have, they have destroyed it. That's why we're on the defense. You follow me? Makes sense to you. All right, we move on. So I contend Frederick Douglass is the bridge that connects conservatives to what? To all Americans. Frederick Douglass is the ideal embodiment of conservative values. Thank God, again, we had this literary legacy of Douglass to lean on. If we didn't have Douglass, oh, brother, where would we be? It would behoove us to leverage his writings. Make that part of your own language when you engage people. You follow me? All right, next one. Let's jump into this critical race theory. And the way I want to do that, you know, the critical race theory, what is, it's a Marxist agenda, all right? Y'all know Karl Marx, right? 
the Communist Manifesto. Um, I want to share something with you. The, uh, back in 1963, a congressman from out of Florida named is, uh, Robert Herlong, Jr. He stood up in the Congress and he read into the congressional record the 45 goals of the communists in the United States. How, the 45 goals, the things they wanted to do in order to destroy America from the inside. He read this in the, into the, the congressional record. I'm not going to read all 45 to you. I'm going to select a few of them. Then I want you to think about the, do any of these hit home? Have they met that goal? All right, number one. Let's see. Number 15 says, capture one or both of the political parties in the United States. Have they done that? Check. Get control of the schools. Use them as a transmission uh, for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of teachers associations and put the party line in textbooks. Check. Why? What, what are they doing today? They're teaching, they're not teaching a US exceptionalism. They're teaching us to hate America, right? Put two check marks there. Number 21, gain control of key positions in radio, TV, and motion pictures. Check. Goal number 22, continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. An American communist cell was told to eliminate all good sculptures and parks. Remember, they tore down the, 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 uh, the, the riots we had. They tore down Frederick Douglass statue up in Rochester, New York. Check. Number 26, present homosexuality, degeneracy, and promiscuity as normal natural and healthy. Check. Number 27, infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. Discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious uh, crutch. Check. Number 28 of their 45 goals, eliminate prayer or any phase of religion expression in schools on the grounds that it violates the principle of separation of church and state. Can anybody say check? Discredit the American Constitution by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned, out of step with modern times. Check. We're in a fight, aren't we? But we're going to win. I'm going to show you how to win in a minute. Create the impression that violence and insurrection are legitimate aspects of American tradition. 
that students and special interest groups should rise up and make a united force to solve economic, social, and political problems. We just witnessed that the last few summers, haven't we? Check. Wow. Marxism. Marxism. Here's something very interesting. Karl Marx and Frederick Douglass were both born in the same year, 1818. 1818. When you study Karl Marx's life, Karl Marx is a poster boy, a poster child for white privilege. I was talking to some BLM members of my church. I said, you despise white privilege, but you follow in the writings of a guy who was of white privilege. Compare that with Frederick Douglass. A slave overcame oppression. Douglass had a newsletter called the North Star. Guess who was a subscriber to Douglass's newsletter? Karl Marx. Karl Marx cherry-picked Douglass' philosophy on humanity. Karl Marx was a revolutionist. Douglas said on one occasion, Douglas said, I'm not a revolutionist. Douglas said, Doug said, I'm not a revolutionist. I'm a reformer. Let's keep what we have, the best of it, and improve on it. A revolution will tear everything up and put them in charge. How do we dismantle and totally tear this whole critical race theory down? Here's what we have to do. We got to understand that what Marxism is all about, when it first started, Marxism was to create a revolution in a, a particular culture or society based on what? Based on the oppressor against the oppressed. The have lots against the have nots. They found out that that, that doesn't work in America. Because why? You can be poor and rise to a one percenter. That didn't work. So they had to come up with another way of making sure they can create strife in this nation. What did they decide to use? Race. Why? Because race doesn't change. You follow me? They use race. And they contend that racism, excuse me, racism is bad. No, the racism that does exist in the United States today is pale in comparison to the racism that Douglas dealt with. Wouldn't you agree? We've come a long way. We've done some improvements. We've got still more work to do in many cases, but it's not like it used to be. They want us to think like it's like it used to be. That's why you got to leverage Frederick Douglass. He was alive back then. He wrote about it. You follow me? It's, it's very powerful when you, when you leverage the writings about the Constitution, free speech, legal immigration from a person that was a former slave. Douglas was not a racist. He was a victim of racism. So, what I did recently, I got ahead of myself. This is what the, this is what the uh, I can't see that. You probably can see it better because I got a glare here. I think it says there, what is uh, critical race theory? It's the belief that the black, the, to separate us by color. Right, you agree with that? All the Marxists, all they have is as a 
as a message is racism. Once we can defeat that, it's over with. But you can't defeat it if you don't have, if you have not created trust and credibility for yourself so get people to listen. If you don't remember anything I say tonight, remember this. Remember this. Truth doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter. If I can call you a racist all day long, for 40 years, I'm calling you a racist, I'm calling you a racist, you see it on TV. When Trump took office, before he took office, they called him a racist every day for four years, hoping that something would stick. If I call you a racist all day long and your response is weak or ineffective, when you speak truth and evidence, it doesn't matter because nobody's not going to listen to a racist. You follow me? This is, this is where the left is playing chess. And we're being, out, we're being outmaneuvered. You follow me so far? Uh, second bullet there. Again, based on color. Based on color. I'm going to Vermont next week to talk about the critical race theory. In Vermont, what they're doing, anybody from Vermont? Okay. What the, what the left is doing in Vermont, they're actually teaching the critical race theory in middle school and in high school, they're separating the kids according to race. So they go to the black kids and tell black kids that you are, that you are the perpetual victims of racism. And you should hate whitey. They're telling the white kids, because you're white, you are an oppressor. And you know what? You cannot be redeemed from being an oppressor. They create animosity. The purpose of creating animosity and strife, that's the communist agenda. And they're teaching all the kids to do what? They're teaching all the kids to hate America, hate God, and hate conservatives. The reason why I say I had that piece about hating conservatives, why is it that white liberals exclude themselves from being white when it comes to this critical race theory? They exclude themselves. Like, if the critical race theory is about whites are innately racist, then white liberals should be racist, but they don't see it that way. It's conservative whites who are racist. Hmm. I know what's going on. The left, they have no sense of conscience. God has turned them over to the reprobate mind. They don't know what's going on. It's obvious to us, but anybody that embraces, a fan embraces infanticide will do anything. That's what we're seeing. All right. What I did a couple of weeks ago, I took the second bullet, let me, let me back up. Um, okay, the last, the last bullet, I'm getting ahead of myself. The, the critical race theory teaches that there are, no, there's, there are no absolutes, meaning that there is no God. If there is no God, then black folks are perpetual victims. And I got to pin on white liberals to help me. That's a slave master mentality. If there is no God, then White people can't be redeemed. You are innately a racist, and you will always be a racist for the rest of your life. 
because they, don't, they, don't, they want you to think that you have no redemptive quality in your life. See how sick they are? It's really sick. So I wrote, I did this card, and I got some here. It's called Frederick Douglass Republicans on the Critical Race Theory. What I did, I went back through the writings of Frederick Douglass, and I took the first assertion that blacks are innately, that blacks are perpetual victims of white racism, and what did Douglass say about that? What did Douglass say about that whites cannot be redeemed? He wrote about it. I found it. What did Douglass say about what the left is trying to do, they try, they're trying to get us to change our private worship from God to government. So we see the government as our provider. I had a good friend of mine who's from Cuba. He told me a story. He said when he was in Cuba, the, the soldiers would come by the schools and tell the kids, put your head down. And while you have your head down, pray to God for some candy. They wait about two or three, four seconds. Raise your head, no candy. Put your head back down. Now play to, pray to Fidel for some candy. While the kids got their head down, the soldiers walk around putting candy on the desk. Raise your head, you got your candy. Fidel gave it to you, the government gave it to you, not God. You follow me? They gotta play games like that. So I found quotes from Frederick Douglass regarding these three major assertions, that blacks are perpetual victims, that white people can't be redeemed, they're innately racist, and the last one is where there are no absolutes. It's called the Frederick Douglass Republican on Critical Race Theory. I know you can't read that, but I want to go through just overview. The first one there, blacks are perpetual, helpless victims of white racism. You got to go back to the speech Douglass gave in 1862. He's speaking to abolitionists, and he told them, Stop treating black folks like they are a special class of citizens. Well, you got to take care of them. Doug said, leave them alone. When the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, Doug has been a civil rights leader at that time, they came to Douglas and asked Douglas, what shall we do with the Negro? We got four million black folks going to be free. What shall we do with them? Douglas said, what do you mean? What you mean, what shall you do with them? Don't you think you've done enough? You made them a slave. He said, stop playing mischief with their lives. Douglas said, quote, leave them alone and mind your own business. Because your interference is causing him positive injury. When you leverage, I, um, I shared this card with some BLM members of my church. Here's what I've learned. They had a quick awakening. They never heard the liberty message coming from the writings of Frederick Douglass. Never heard it. One of them asked me about the three-fifth clause. Because I, I was taught this in school as well, and the, the left teaches it as well now. I was taught, and these young kids that I talked to, that they said that the three-fifth clause meant that blacks were three-fifths of a human being. Have you heard that before? Douglas covered that in 1861. March 26, 1861, Douglas in Glasgow, Scotland. He said the three-fifth clause has nothing to do with the personhood of a black individual. What it was, it was a compromise used by the northern free states upon the southern slave states. See, the southern slave states want to count every slave, every black person in slavery as one person, one vote. Commemorating the Constitution, for every 30,000 citizens, you got what? One congressional representation. 
They wanted to count every, because they had four million blacks now in the South in slavery. Four million in the South. They want to count every black person as slave as one person, one vote, who gave them a, a huge majority in Congress. So the Northern Free State said, no, if you free them, we'll let you count them as one person, one vote. But since you can't free them, we're going to limit the slave representation to three-fifths of a vote. Who a black person in a free state is worth five-fifths of a vote, but a black person in a slave state is worth three-fifths of a vote. That cut the congressional representation, the congressional English is my second language today, so bear with me. It's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> that cut the slave representation, that cut the congressional representation of the slave states in half. Douglas wrote that. When I shared it with these BLM kids, they had nothing to say. But listen, all because I leveraged the liberty message of Frederick Douglass, somebody they can't call a racist. They try to call Douglas an Uncle Tom. If you know anything about his life, Douglas was married twice. His first wife died, and Douglas married his secretary. Douglas' second wife was white. That's why they tried to call Douglas Uncle Tom. But Douglas basically said, look, colors don't marry, people do. So we shut that down. All right, go to the next one here. Here is my comment here I want to read to you. I think it's pretty profound. It's at the top. Having a slave master mentality that blacks are unable to provide for themselves, that's what the slave master thought, that blacks are, are unable to provide for themselves. So we got to take care of them. That's what liberals think. They got to take care. Don't leave us alone. It goes on to say, so liberals think that their social uh, benevolence and instruction can improve the condition of black people better than liberty. Don't give them liberty. Let us take care of them. They treat black folks like we're some kind of social guinea pig. All these programs you have that don't work, you're just playing mischief with our lives. Douglas wrote, back, wrote that back in the 1800s. You see why the, the writings of Frederick Douglass key? He's writing with a former slave perspective, and the left can't call him an Uncle Tom, can't call him a slave owner. You follow me? When this gets out, if you become a Frederick Douglass Liberty Ambassador, this thing grows, the left will start jumping out of 12-story building. It's over with. They don't have an answer for Frederick Douglass, and they never will. The other thing is, number two, white people are innately racist with absolutely no redeeming qualities. You got to go back 10 years after Douglass escaped from slavery. He wrote a letter to his former slave master, and he said in that letter, I forgive you for all the things you did to me. I'm not going to treat you like you treated me. You can come to my house anytime. I'm going to let you eat inside, but you may be eating outside. He said, I'm going to use you as an example how men ought to treat each other. This is Douglas talking. Then Douglas said to him, I want you to free all 400 of your slaves. And until you do, I'm going to write about you in my books. I'm going to call you out on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Doug is the original blogger. Because the slave master redeemed, he had his transformation, that slave master freed all 400 of his slaves within a year of Doug is making that comment. He freed all 400 of his slaves 15 years before the Emancipation 
The Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Why? Because of repentance. You follow me? The last one is this. It is crucial that you understand that critical race theory is primarily about silencing truth and changing the religious devotion of people from God to government, forcing us to bow down to the altar of the almighty government instead of the almighty God. Here's a key sentence from Douglas. It's down at the bottom. It says, the first aim, he's talking about slavery, because you got to understand the techniques of oppression used by the slave master are identical to the techniques of oppression used by a slave government. It's the same. Douglas said this. He said, the first aim of slavery, the first aim is to destroy all sense of high moral and religious responsibility. He goes on to say, this is a quote now, it reduces a man to a mere machine. It cuts him off from his maker. It hides him from the laws of God and leads him to grope his way from time to eternity in the dark. Follow this now. Under the arbitrary and despotic control of frail, depraved, and sinful fellow men, the left. You follow me? This makes sense to you? Doug is a bad boy. Doug is a bad boy. When you learn to leverage him, this got to become part of you. This got to become part of you. You're not taking a huge leap and saying you're afraid of Doug's Republican because you share the values. I'm just giving you a vehicle on how to leverage Douglas to have an atmosphere, a healthy atmosphere for political discourse and how to defend your conservative values by leveraging Douglas' writings. Douglas wrote about school choice, religious liberty, women's rights, the right to keep and bear arms, economic prosperity, um, immigration. Douglas wrote about these things. It's there. It's also in my book. Uh, let me talk about the book. I'll forget to talk about the book. So I wrote this book back in 2011, I believe. It's called Frederick Douglas Republicans, the movement to reignite America's passion for liberty. The book is not, it is not a dissertation on the political thoughts of Douglas, but what it is, it is a conservative action handbook that gives you information so you can engage. You can have a, you can trump the race card, okay? So in this book, I identify four life empowering values. Respect the U.S. Constitution, respect for life, the belief in limited power, no. In the book, I say the belief in limited government. I don't say that anymore. See, when you say I believe in limited government, what the left would do, oh, you believe in limited government, you want to take false entitlements away. Now I say, which is not in the book, got to write this down, I believe the limited power of government, where I like to keep more of the money that I make. And the last one, I believe in personal responsibility. It really comes out of 2 Thessalonians. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So I give you five quotes from Frederick Douglass regarding those four life each of those four life empowering values. Okay. Um, the book comes with five what we call engagement cards. This little card right here, five by seven, 
And it's a, on that engagement card are six life-empowering values and what Douglas had to say about each one of them. What did Douglas say about what's the first the Constitution? What did Douglas say about economic prosperity? What did Douglas say about free speech? What did Douglas say about school choice? What did Douglas say about the right to keep and bear arms? It's all on that card. That's we call that engagement card. The book is for you. The engagement card, once you read the book, you know how to engage. That's what you give to people so they can have an awakening by leveraging writings of Douglas. You follow me? Then, of course, this card right here, Frederick Douglass on the critical race theory. Since critical race theory is such a hot issue, we just published this last week. And I can't keep it. We're already out. I got, I got had to order another, some more. Um, because that is also an engagement card. That's what I gave to the members of BLM. And what happened was, by leveraging Douglas, it helped me to establish common ground with them. And guess what? When you leverage Frederick Douglass, race comes off the table. You know why? Whenever we're at home, right? This is family. Whenever a white person in their heart of hearts say, I hold Frederick Douglass in high esteem, and I agree with his life empowering values. I'm more than a Republican. I'm more than a conservative. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. They don't expect a white conservative to say a whole black man in high esteem. You just messed them up. You got that content to come behind it? Why you believe in it? Those life empowering values? Race comes off the table. Basically, what I'm saying, Frederick Douglass is your hood pass. But this engagement strategy, it's not just how to talk to black folks, it's how to talk to anyone regarding your conservative values. The importance of the Constitution, the importance of free speech, the exceptionalism of America. Douglas wrote about it. Until, I, until God gave me this Frederick Douglass message, I was, a, I was on the defense, man. I stopped going to family reunions because they told me to stop coming. Okay? So I'm trying to share with you what works. And the goal is to become a Frederick Douglass Liberty Ambassador. That's what you got to do. So if we're serious about defending liberty, if we're serious about defending the Constitution, we must make Frederick Douglass an integral part of our message. If not, we're going to fail. We're failing now. This is the only way to save our nation. It, it, we, the way we're going to save our nation, it's all about messaging. It's all about messaging. And let me give you this, too. So this Frederick Douglass Republican engagement strategy that I created is based on the liberty message of Frederick Douglass. Also, it's based on the diversity outreach strategy of the Apostle Paul. When you really think about it, the Apostle Paul was a diversity outreach specialist. Y'all remember Paul, right? called and commissioned by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles, people of different what? Races, ethnicities. By occupation now, the Apostle Paul, he was an attorney and he was a tent maker. Am I right, somebody? Say amen. amen. He was a tent maker. God called the Apostle Paul to establish a big tent. Big tent is a metaphoric expression that conservatives and Republicans use all the time. We got to have a big tent. 
1 Corinthians 9.22, I believe, Apostle Paul says this, I become all things to all people so that I may, what, win a few. What did he mean by that, K. Carl? When you read some of the other translations of the Bible, when Paul was talking, Paul said, I entered their world, to about the Gentiles, and I tried to experience life from their viewpoint. I didn't take on their ways, but I tried to understand life from their viewpoint. If you enter my world as a black American and you try to experience life from my viewpoint, you're going to discover the word conservative is not the language of liberty. It's the language of oppression. And the reason why I told you earlier. You follow me? Also, in the Apostle Paul ministry, God gave us the answer on how to trump the race card. When you take a look at it, you know, before the Apostle Paul became a champion of Christianity, he was also well known for being a bloodthirsty persecutor of the Christians. Isn't that right? That reputation preceded him. The Gentiles shook with fear when they heard Paul's name. Am I right? And Paul had his Damascus Road experience. He had that transformation. Allow me to use my biblical imagination just for two minutes. What was some of the talk among the Gentiles about Paul? Can y'all imagine? You know how folks are. Can you imagine what they said about Paul? Y'all, y'all, y'all look at Paul. That no good liar calling himself a Christian evangelist. Y'all know what he did to those folks in Jerusalem, Judea? He thinks he's fooling somebody. He's a liar. He's a bigot. He's a racist. In those words sound familiar? That's what they say about conservatives. He speaks with a double tongue. He's, he's coming over here trying to get us to become Christians so he can kill us too. And I'm right. The question is, how, there's no denying that Apostle Paul had a tremendous impact in the early growth of the church. How did he overcome the negative perceptions that the Gentiles had of him in order to have that impact? How did he jump the race card? At a minimum, he did two things. Number one, he had a testimony. He didn't just talk, he didn't just quote the Christ, he talked about how the teaching of the Christ changed his thinking, changed his mind, made him a new person. See, if we're going to trump the race card, we got to have a similar, what I call the inspirational political declaration. We got we to make a similar statement. What is that statement, K. Carl? I've been inspired by the life and writings of Frederick Douglass. I'm more than a conservative, I'm more than a Republican. I'm afraid of the Douglas Republican. See, when you're engaging someone, you got to get them to think that you had a, your saw to Paul conversion. Even though you've never been a racist, we're guilty by association. You got to get them to think that. So race started coming off the table. The second thing Paul did, Paul had good deeds. He was traveling the country, he was traveling Asia Minor, the Roman Empire. He was with the people that he's supposed to be racist towards. He ministered, ministered to them, um, healed them. He brought a person back from the dead. See, when you have a testimony and you have good deeds and you put that together, that's an unstoppable force. You got to have good deeds. You got you to you work with the people that you're supposed to be racist towards. Uh, for the past two years of his office, I was the advisor to President Trump. And I, I shared with them, I said, you're not going to win the black vote not just by having good deeds. Criminal justice reform was a good deed. 
The Opportunity Zones was a good deed. Unemployment law in the black community is a good deed. You just can't rely on that. And that was the problem. Because you got to, as I said, to, you have to understand through which biblical lens that blacks who vote Democrat, they view the world. And I'm talking about myself here. And the way I was viewing the world is through Proverbs 21 and 1. The heart of the king is in the hands of God. Meaning that God can take a quote-unquote racist president and use him to bless me. So Trump's not going to get the credit for it. God's going to get the credit because why? God's making the racist do it. No, that'll be President Trump is a racist? No. But that's what the left painted. And you got to deal with that. So what would have been important, I tried to get them to understand. See, the problem wasn't the president. The problem was the strategists around the president, the political operatives who were getting paid to come up with strategy. Lo and behold, when they embrace a strategy they didn't come up with, because they may get written out of the budget. What if President Trump stood up at a debate and said, I'm more than a conservative Republican. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. And I would continue to pass legislation that's in line with the life and prime values of Frederick Douglass. He could drop the mic. Left has no answer for it. Well, it didn't happen. All right? Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you like the show, please drop a review in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all of our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, please visit forgeleadership.org.